This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961. You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay. This is the programme called Canny View, and it's our pleasure, as always, not to have in the studio this time, but to have on the phone Nick Stewart, the CEO of the Stewart Group right here in Hastings. How are you going, Nick? Very good, thank you, Ken. Yeah, a slightly different outlook to normal, sitting in my home office rather than sitting with you and having a chat. Who would have thought, eh? Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, um, very fast-moving time and very different. Now, we're here to talk about COVID and the uh, the effect that it's had on the market. It's had a bit of a funny old effect, really, hasn't it? Because I heard this morning that I think in Australia, was it that the, the share market had bounced up 7% or 7 points? Yeah, the um, the markets around the world have been quite interesting. So today the ASX has opened up 1%, mm. but if I just have a look over the last five days, yeah, towards the end of last week, yeah, the market yeah the market did come up um, quite a few percent towards the week's end. Mm. It started the week really quite low and ended on a bit of a high. But look, when you actually look at these things and you look at the – and the term is like the kind of intraday movement, you know, what happens within the day, yeah. We've seen volatility on world markets that you'd usually associate with like raw commodities. So when you've got things like the ASX, the Australian Stock Exchange top 200, our NZX 50, our top 50 stocks, or the S&P 500, the US's top 500 companies, when you've got movements of negative 10, plus 6, mm. negative 5, you know, that is incredible volatility. Uh, and it does really shake people's nerves. But it would appear at the moment that if we look over the last, say, five to seven days of trading, it has settled down. You know, we're kind mm-hmm. of into what you might call the new normal. How does it compare to, say, 1987? And what, what would you put that comparison down to? 1987 was was unique. Each of these is unique in the sense that in 1987, um, you had a very um, human-oriented, operated stock exchange system. You had people yelling from the floor and placing trades on a blackboard. We've all seen those old yep. those old photos, and people were, you know, looking depressed with handsets draped over their shoulders, etc. Now, if we then go forward to say the global financial crisis, two thousand eight, which was a, a banking-led issue, primarily in the United States, but when we look at that, you had electronic systems but you didn't have the same social media overlay that we have today. So today we're all informed within a split second of what's happening because it pops up on your screen, on your phone, desktop, you name it. Um, And it also permeates across social media. So this is very different than 1987. And also if we think about 1987, 87 is burnt into the minds of New Zealanders because... 87 was particularly bad for Kiwi, mm-hmm. whereas if I ask, 
say, a US investor who'd been through, maybe a US investor who's been invested for 40 years, 1987 isn't the same event for them as it is for us. Oh, what you're saying sounds very logical, but uh, I wonder then if you could put it into perspective for us, why are people panicking at the moment? Why are they running around buying and stocking up on toilet paper like this is uh, the apocalypse mm-hmm. is coming? Um, I do wonder about the toilet paper buying. That yes. is, is, is rather, one would say that it's a little irrational um, because of the fact that this isn't a gastro issue. This is a, it's a virus. Yeah. Um, and, you know, affects the, um, you know, breathing capacity, et cetera. So, but I think it's just the human psychology of the panic buying. And, you know, like if, say, one particular commodity is in high demand, in this case, toilet paper, mm-hmm. um, you know, a commodity that's so cheap to buy and is normally in such abundance, um, it is unusual. But I think it's just a, it's a symbol of that general panic. And, you know, you would you would argue and say, well, at what point in time? Um, at what point in time do people become rational? I mean, is it yes. like you know when you've got six hundred rolls of toilet paper, <laughs> yes. you no longer have the energy to worry about it because you know basically you've insulated the entire garage with toilet rolls. Yeah, um, it, 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 it is really unusual, and it does show that kind of raw DNA, the, the, the wiring that's in us, and that is that you know we. We do. It's a, and, and sorry, where I'm going to go to is it. It rolls through into the fear of a loss rather than the euphoria of a gain, and that is that we are wired to feel panic and fear and losses more than we are to being feeling positive and euphoric about a win. Which Sadly, is, yeah. that's just what we are. Which is a good segue into why we panic buy and sell equities or shares or anything. I mean, um, I suppose. It is a bit of a herd mentality that uh, you know we see a gap on the shelf and think, oh my god, I better get in and get my share. Because when everyone is coming out and saying there is no need to panic, we've got plenty of this stuff. I uh, just shop normally, but people aren't listening to that. Why does that cross over into uh, buying and selling of shares? When someone like yourself, every time I talk to you, you say, look, you're in it for the long haul. Think of the long haul. Why do we panic? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, so, yeah that's a good segue. And you know, like you know, pub, you know. Effectively, you know, panic selling, it kind of, it's one of those, it's an emotive-laden, it's focused on the short term and frequently driven by the behaviour of other people because, of course, that herd mentality. Um, it's it's difficult for some people because they like to go with the herd. There are safety in numbers. I mean, we know that. I mean, you've, yeah. only, you've only got to um, take a walk around a paddock with... Um, with a mob of sheep, and you know they do like to sit, they do like to stick together. Mm-hmm. Uh, occasionally, there is the proverbial black sheep in the flock, but for the most part, you know they stick together as a flock. Yeah, and you know human beings are very much the same. Um, it's unfortunate though that um, you know, and and in the cases of like the toilet paper hoarding, it's an issue driven by a self perpetuating scarcity, and that's where the very scarcity is caused by the perception of people's perception of the lack of toilet paper. Mm. So effectively, it becomes a spiral, and it's a little bit like that with stocks and bonds. So when everyone starts, the chatter starts that they wish to get out and that they think something is going wrong, then in many ways, that's when the herd mentality, it starts snowballing upon itself. And if I look back to 
March the 9th, 2009. And if we look at one of the world's largest pension systems per head of capital, which is Australia, our dear cousins over the ditch, March the 9th saw the single largest number of transfers out of shares mm. or equities into cash or bonds mm. ever across Australian super. March the 9th was the lowest point of the Australian stock market, and from that day, it took off. So in other words, the herd and everyone talking together, they sadly, a lot of people went to cash right at the bottom. Mm. And we frequently see this where, um, unfortunately, and there are some really fabulous studies out of the United States on this, where they've studied, it's called DALBAR, D-A-L-B-A-R. Anyone can Google it. It's really cool. And it shows what happens if these, you know, 40, 50-year pensions had just held the asset classes that they'd originally invested in. They then look at what the actual results have been, and you're talking about a 3.8% difference on a growth portfolio between what the people should have got versus what they got. And the reason is the difference between the two was that human nature coming to the fore and when the pain's there and when the herd's moving, the people went from equities to cash or to bonds and they crystallised the game and then when the markets lift up again, they say, I would like to get back in Mm. now. Unfortunately, the um, losses were crystallised and the market had already started moving again. Have you got any... Sorry. Yeah, go on. Have you got any statistics on who was doing it? I mean, was was that mum and dad investors saying, oh, my God, you know, cash is king. Let's get cash. We know what cash is. Uh, we can see it. We can hold it. We can put it in the bank. We know it's going to be there. Or or, or was it across the board uh, flight? Um, across the board, there were redemptions like that and there were transfers. But it was far far greater in the DIY camp than it was in the advisor-managed or the mm. institutional space, um, sadly. And, and look, a lot of people, you know, DIY is absolutely fine with an incoming tide. I mean, you know, to use that analogy, I remember as a kid over at the Ahuriri uh, Napier Port, um, and for those, you know, foreigners that listen to the radio show, you know, there's a lovely little in- inland lagoon, and when you're learning to sail on an octopus yacht, your final day out, you get to take these little boats out into the actual ocean. (laughs) Now, it's interesting, because depending on what the tide's doing affects your ability to get in or out on the day, or, you know, the time of the day. And it's interesting, certainly when the tide is going out and you're trying to sail, not paddle, but sail upstream, it certainly sorts out the boys from the men very quickly. And unfortunately, a little bit like that optimist sailing analogy, when the tide is going out and the tide's going out with the market, DIY investors frequently capitulate much more quickly than advisor-managed clients. That is where the client has a wingman on their shoulder helping them through and dealing with that emotional burden of their friends around the barbecue or, as it is today, their friends on the phone because, of course, we can't have a barbecue together unless you're within your bubble. Um, and, and, you know, people saying, um, I'm out, I give up, I've thrown, I've thrown in the towel. Yeah. And yeah. unfortunately, it does crystallise those, those losses. And it does have a material impact long term because the value of a dollar today 
you know, for example, a dollar for me at age 43 mm-hmm. is going to be worth a lot more to me when I'm 65 because sure. I've got, you know, 22 years. Yeah. Um, Do you find that the numbers... Is that mentality surprising to you still? I mean, it's 2020. Like you said, we, we, our, our fingers are on the stock market at the touch of a button. And mm. there are advisors like yourself around, and a lot of people are now using you. I know that. But is that mentality, cash is king, is that surprising to you in this day and age? No, no, it's not. The um, cash is king is always a great analogy whenever times are difficult mm-hmm. because it allows people to, and I like to use the word dry powder, so they've got some dry powder ready to go to launch, you know, to yep. fire their cannon when required so they can buy discounted assets. The problem is most people are already invested. So it comes down to the fact, like, um, when we're helping clients out, we want to make sure, A, that they do have some cash reserves. Mm-hmm. B, they're extremely well diversified. And I don't just mean diversified across equities, but across property and bonds as well because those asset classes are what's called, they have a low correlation. Think about pistons on an engine. You know, if you've got a V8, you've got four cylinders up and four cylinders down. Think about that with equities and bonds. So so for us at the moment, we're able to rebalance portfolios by divesting some of the bonds, which have traded very, very well, extremely liquid. When I mean liquid, we're able to sell them and we're able to buy discounted shares or equity, um, and and the clients are able to still stay on track to meet their goals and objectives long term. But those that actually go to cash, well, that is on the premise that things are going to get worse before mm-hmm. they get better. So, they're, they're, so in other words, they are going to sell an asset at a discount, go to cash. They're then effectively hoping that the asset prices depreciate further, further so they can get back in. Now, that it's, it's incredibly difficult to time market. If you ask even a veteran trader who is honest with their commentary, and, and most now say they, they cannot pick the top nor the bottom, and it, it, it all comes down to diversification. Yeah. Diversification and things like in terms of actually getting in with deploying capital is utilising that old analogy of dollar cost averaging. Will you find, though, that, um, Nick, that the people who divested their shares and turned them into cash, they will be gun-shy about getting back into it down the track. They'll think, ooh, look what happened. I'm not going to do that again in a hurry. <laughs> uh, yeah, unfortunately that can happen, and then you get people transferring into some really rinky-dinky, I'll use that terminology, things like Bitcoin. Yep. They want to go off-grid. Um, look, you know, all different types of folks make up the market. And whenever you're wanting to find out the price of something, that you know the price is always going to be where there is a willing buyer and a willing seller. So, uh, um, yeah. yeah. And, but but unfortunately, yeah, um, those people that go to cash and you've got the old Mark Twain quote about you know a a cat and I've used this in the show before. You know, a cat a cat that has been on a hot stove uh, will never go back on a cold one either. Um, sorry if I've absolutely butchered that quote, but it, it, <laughs> I'm close. Yes, right. Now, look, we've talked about the share market, but um, what about housing? You know, uh, we've, we've spoken with you for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, and sooner or later that housing bubble is going to burst. Is the housing bubble, has it burst, or is it going to burst, or is it going to hold steady? What do you think? Yeah, that's the, um, I was going to say million-dollar question, but it's a billion, so I'll use that's the billion-dollar question. Um, if you... 
so, and I, on the last radio show I talked about this, and that is yep. that the stock market computes all the future expected cash flows of all the various companies and rolls it into a price for you today. Now, and that's instantaneous. So if the stock market has dropped by, depending on which country you're in, um, um, you know, God's own here has fared a little better than our cousins across the ditch. Mm-hmm. But let's say if if your shares have dropped by a third or 25%, it would be rather naive to believe that that, that forward computation of expected returns is not going to come back and affect the residential housing market. That would be um, that would be a hail mary to, to try and pull that off. So it just takes a little bit longer for it to come through. But with an expected um, fairly substantial ramp up in the unemployment rate and the fact that we've closed our borders and the fact that um, through government policy we've already started restricting the purchase of residential um, properties to foreigners, one would certainly expect that the prices would start to soften. One hopes that that it's not drastic and we have a repeat of um, post-1987, which was extremely unfortunate for many, many in society and was very disruptive for a lot of families um, and had a flow-on effect to businesses too because a lot of people financed their business off the back of bricks and mortar in their home. So hopefully that doesn't happen this time, but, but one would expect that would certainly expect that prices will come back and soften. Now, we're early days into our lockdown, and uh, by the time this goes to air, we'll be nearly two weeks into a, a mm. lockdown. What's going to happen to the market? I mean, I'm surprised that the market hasn't sort of really crashed because of the, the worldwide crisis. Mm. Not, that, not that I know much about it, but what, what happens to the market, Nick, when if the government come out at the end of four weeks and say, look, sorry, another four weeks? What happens then? Um, well, now, you remember how I talked about that the market computes all the future expected uh, earnings. Mm-hmm. So it also is pra- it, it, it also factors in a number of expected outcomes. So because you're talking about thousands and thousands of people are making transactions daily. So you've got some people who will be actually believing that we'll be in lockdown for, say, eight weeks or yep. six weeks or five weeks. So the market actually, the kind of herd mentality there with the market will start to see prices move quite quickly. Um, now, in terms of us actually being in lockdown, so we've already seen the market drop by about twenty five percent. So it's already down. It's already down a fair a fair component. But if it, but if the but if it was that we were to go in for a lockdown for say a period of time that the market wasn't ready for, the market participants hadn't forecast or thought about, then you do you do see a short term negative outcome. Okay, we're just about out of time. I wonder if you wouldn't mind, I know you haven't got a crystal ball, but if you wouldn't mind giving us uh, an outlook for the short term. So you're talking to an investor who's very, very nervous. What, mm. what would you be saying to them as the outlook? Uh, let's, let's, just, let's just take it out to the end of this year. What would you be saying to them? Well, I would say that make a long-term decision based on your goals and objectives and don't, don't base them on current short-term noise. That is that if you were, um, say, a 50-year-old investor and you were looking looking to save for your future and for the future of your family, that you should look through the noise, the short-term noise and pain, and the fact that we're kind of two weeks in, as you said, the dark side of the moon, 
We're looking out to space. It's dark and it's cold. But look through because in a couple of weeks or a month, the sun will shine again and we will be back to some form of normality. It may be a new normal, but it will be it will be more normal again. And just people need to focus on their goals and objectives, not the noise. And if you were thinking about investing and getting started, well, you've got a lovely 25 to 30% discount on many assets that weren't there at Christmas that are there today. Good on you, Nick. As always, a pleasure. I look forward to talking the same time, same place next week. Yeah, I look forward to that too. Until then, take care, Ken. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.